Blog Talk Radio. Sponsored by WomenSpeakers.com, the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, you're listening to Marnie's Friends. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Marnie Sudberg. Welcome to another edition of Marnie's Friends, and we are excited today to be talking to all of our authors and writers out there. We have a wonderful guest, Mary DeMuth, and she, we, is, we are going to be talking about insider secrets from the book launch mentor, Mary DeMuth. During this hour, you'll discover five factors successful authors take into consideration before beginning a new book project, the critical questions you must ask yourself before launching your book publicity, how to market with joy and intention, the 10 things that can lead to author burnout and how to get past them, and why every nonfiction author needs to think about tribe. Mary DeMuth is an international speaker and podcaster, the author of over 30 books. She lives in Texas with her husband and is mom to three adult children. Welcome to you, Mary. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here. Well, and it's great to have you. I know you were on the show years ago and we had such a great time and just shared so much good content. Excited, excited to have you back. And you've got a new project that you're doing called uh, BookLaunchMentor.com. We're going to talk about that after a little while. But first, let's go ahead and just talk about a little bit about um, being a successful author and some things to consider even before you begin a book project. And, you know, I think a lot of people, I don't know if you find this, but I think a lot of people start writing without really much thought about what happens after the book is done. It's true. And I don't think that we realize, and I didn't know this when I went into writing, I didn't realize that you'd spend just as much time marketing it as you did actually writing the whole entire thing. And so I think that's one of the mistakes authors make is they go in um, with kind of joy filled eyes (laughs) thinking it's just going to be, you know, ponies and rainbows and unicorns. And then the reality is your book comes out and you have to launch it. And so there is that issue that I've been trying to help authors with for the past several years, but um, more importantly, just recently started working with them again in that capacity. And, and man, that's the thing I hear left and right is that, man, it takes a lot of time to market your book. And boy, uh, that's a lot more than I ever thought I would have to do. So I don't want people to be, um, I want them to go in with eyes wide open instead of, um, you know, with rose colored glasses. <laughs> Well, and I think it was even, I mean, my first book came out with St. Martin's Press in New York, which I thought, okay, great, they're going to do all the publicity, <laughs> not even then. It didn't even happen with a major publisher. Right. I think we need to not assume that. And it's interesting now with the, so many people self-publishing, self-publishers know they have to do a lot of marketing, but if you go the traditionally published route, which I've done most of my uh, career, we have this naive thought that the publisher is going to just be so awesome and they're going to, you know, do all these things and they do do some things and I'm very grateful for that, but it's Mm -hmm. not, it's not as much as what you can actually do in building your tribe. Right. And it's really not enough unless you happen to be a really big name um, that they're going to put all their eggs in one basket. You're going to get some attention and then the rest of it, you're going to have to do yourself. So let's talk about, let's just go right into the five factors that Mm -hmm. successful authors take into consideration before even beginning a new book project. So I have five questions that they can ask themselves. um, And and this is something you can ask prior to writing your book, but it also can be questions you're asking yourself during the writing process. But it's nice to kind of, this might be a really nice journal activity for a writer to answer these questions. The first one is, what is my passion? Um, And when you're creating a, if you're a nonfiction writer, when you're creating a book proposal, it really does come out whether you're passionate about the idea or not. And usually when I meet with uh, writers at writers conferences, I can tell immediately if they're super passionate about what they're writing about, or if it's just, they're trying to get published and this seems like a good enough idea so the, the beauty of writing a book proposal is by the time you're done writing that, you know, sometimes 30 to 75 page document, if you're like really tired of the book idea already, then you're probably not passionate enough to write that book. And so passion well, has something important to do with it. Right. And I just even think, okay, so 
you know, usually by the time you're done writing the book, by the time you've gone through all the edits and everything like that, you are kind of, um, you have gotten a lot of time with that book. (laughs) And then begins the interviews and the blogs and all that kind of stuff. And really, if you don't passionately love it, you'll hate it before you're done. You'll, You'll really hate it. Yeah, so if you kind of mildly hate it, when you're going in, you're going to despise <laughs> it by the end. So, And when, right. when you're passionate about it, you still are going to experience some of that. Like I always, when I get my edits back from my final draft, I'm like, who in the world would read this stupid book? So I think that's normal, but that's why it's important to have some passion going in. Well, and the other, the other side of passion is, at least for me, in my topics, I mean, I share in my books, uh, everything, you know, I try to put together the things that I've learned so far about this topic. And then the beauty of your passionate topics is that you get to keep learning. As you go forward, other people will give you pieces of information you didn't have before. And it, it's just a joy instead of it being just like, oh, my goodness, do I have to think about that anymore? So it's huge. Passion is huge. I love that. So the next question that uh, authors need to ask themselves, and this sounds like a really juvenile question, but what is my book about? Um, I often will get people who say, well, it's my story, or I'm writing a memoir, or my book is about forgiveness or whatever, and it's super vague. And um, there is a genre of writing a memoir, but that's a very hard book to break into the publishing business with. I was able to write a memoir because I had published about 15 books by that time. Um, so the questions you ask yourself is what is the genre? In other words, if you walked into a Barnes and Noble today, where would it be shelved? Um, and how, uh, how well do I know what the book will be about? So, I mean, it seems kind of silly, but have you lived this? Have you had uh, a lot of experience or have you walked alongside someone that has that experience? Uh, do you have good access to research and interviews? Um, and how unique is your book? Now, a book on forgiveness would have to have some sort of very, very specific angle to make it unique because there's a lot of books about grace and forgiveness and peace and, you know, any fruit of the spirit, there's going to be, you know, a handful or 50 books on that subject. Um, So these are just questions when you're asking what your book is about, it has to be really, really unique. And you have to ask yourself if this book was going to go to a committee, a publishing board, would they find it different and compelling And another thing that you can do in terms of asking what your book is about is just what is a one-sentence summary of your book? And when you share that one-sentence summary, do people seem bored or do they seem excited? (laughs) Okay. And I always have this kind of – this is my acid test for my one-sentence book summary. If people said to me, oh, my gosh, I need that book, then I knew I was on to something. But if they said to me – I know somebody who might like that book. Then I knew I wasn't really there yet. And so it's one thing for people to give you kind of a little nod. It's another thing for people to put their money down and actually buy it. And that's what you really need is people to commit to buying it and reading it, you know, uh, because that's the goal in the end is to have people read your book, not to just have it out there. Right. Not just to hold it and have it be pretty on your bookshelf, but that it actually impacts people's lives. Right. That's the goal. Yep. I love that. What's your book about? Yes. What's your book about? Next one is who is my immediate audience? And when you're preparing a book and this is in the preliminary pre-pubbed stage, you may think that your immediate audience is the people that will eventually read your book. But actually the first audience that you have to ask yourself about is the book, um, the acquiring editor and the pub board. And they're going to be asking questions about whether that book will sell And so in your proposal, when you're creating a proposal for your book, that's the number, they are your number one audience. Your, um, the people that are going to read it are not your number one audience in the terms of proposal. You have to say and, and uh, communicate somehow that your book is wildly unique and that it has a niche and that it actually um, probably could sell because of the strength of the idea or the strength of your platform or whatever, but you have to remember your immediate audience before you write the book. And of course this goes out the window when you're self-publishing, but if you want to be traditionally published, you have to think about how is this book going to sell? 
Okay, but while it does go out the window if you're self-publishing, the reality is is if you don't take those steps to think it right. through like they would, it's not going to work. <laughs> so, right, so you yeah. could just write, you know, your great-grandma's memoir, and your, your family is going to be super happy about that. But honestly, it probably won't sell. And if you're self-publishing and thinking that you're going to make a living at it, you have to ask those kinds of questions. You have to look at your platform. You have to look at the uniqueness of the book. Um, one of the things I did uh, for one of my books was it was a sexual abuse recovery book called Not Marked. And I shopped it to my publishers at the time. And they said, no, there's no audience for sexual abuse books, which I knew was not true. But I knew that they just didn't, they didn't have the passion for it. And so I ended up crowdfunding that book and publishing it on my own. And it did do pretty well for a self-published book because I knew my audience and I knew that people needed that book. So um, for me, it was, um, I, it was a matter of knowing that there was an audience and I was going to go forward because I wanted to bless that audience. I love that. And I think it goes, what's triggering in my mind here too with this number three, who's my immediate audience, envision your book proposal going in front of a whole committee and what they have in front of them is they have a stack deep stack of Mm -hmm. all these proposals and they have one hour and they've got to get through 30 or 45 proposals in that hour or maybe even 90 and if you will just imagine that they're going to just look at it and rule it out look at it and rule it out until one of them pops to the surface and they go you know what Uh, this looks really good and so that's kind of what your competition is Right. So it has to be pretty amazing and it is very easy to overlook a proposal. So your job in writing a proposal is to answer every question and to be as compelling as you can. Yeah. Yeah. So, so don't, my, don't think my, my book will sell itself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. got to sell it. Sell it. <laughs> yeah. And, and don't pull God into the whole thing either. Like God told me this will be a bestseller that has zero um, credibility with a pub board because they're looking at the money issue. They're, um, they, that's not a guarantee that it will sell. You know what? I mean, I, I wish it was. I, I, wanna, <laughs> I know. I want to pause there just a moment too, because even for non-Christian publishers, they have people that will send them the book and say, I guarantee this is going to be a bestseller. Right. That's really not your job to be saying stuff like that. Your job is to let them do their job. Right. And so, so true. And so you've got, you've got to give them the facts, the verifiable facts. And then they've got to do their job. Right. And they can't with yeah. those kind of, you know, overarching comments. It just means it's like saying white noise. It, it means nothing to them. And they've seen it 1000 times before. So be careful right. about your oversweeping statements. Yeah. So my next question um, for those, this is especially for those who are brand new and I'm getting emails like this all the time. Hey, um, I have this great story. Will you write this book for me? for free so that um, I'll split the royalties <laughs> with you. And really what that, what that question shows me is that they don't know the publishing industry. And so that's one of the questions you need to ask. Are you familiar with the inner workings of the publishing industry? And this goes for self or traditional published or, you know, print on demand, whatever, because you do need to have a very strong sense of what does it take to get a book to print? Um, what is the editing process? Uh, you know, why should you not have a really ugly book cover and what are the hoops that you have to jump through to really do well in this industry? Someone that asked me a question like that, it shows me they just have this book idea and they've spent about 23 minutes thinking about the publishing industry instead of doing their homework. And so as authors, if you want to make a living at this, you need to know the industry like the back of your hand. Hmm. I, I think two publishers have told me, also that they truly can't afford to work with a prima donna with somebody who just wants right. to write and never think about any other aspect of this process. They just don't right. have time to babysit you. Um, that's your job as a writer. Yeah, you need to babysit yourself. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yep. So I, I definitely um, think it's really great to know the industry and a a very fast way to do that is to go to a writer's conference because in a very short period of time, you're going to get a very steep learning curve and you're going to learn so much more in one concentrated period of time if you go to a writer's conference. So that's one very easy solution to that problem if you don't know much about it. That's awesome. 
And then the last one is, do you, do I have the guts? (laughs) Uh, A friend of mine who is an author, she said, publishing a book is like giving birth to an elephant, only more painful. (laughs) um, (laughs) It's, it's a hard industry. And if you feel like you're called to it and you want to make a living at it, which are two different things, um, you really do need to have a lot of tenacity and guts and perseverance and the ability to take, um, criticism. You need to settle your worth. You need to remember that publishing does not validate your life so that every rejection you get sends you into the pit of despair. You need to realize that rejection gets harder the longer you're in the industry. And no one ever told me that. I thought, you know, once I got book one underneath me, that would all be like publishing nirvana for the rest of my life. And that's (laughs) not true. It actually gets harder and worse. And I just got a rejection on Monday and it hurt. And it's just part Mm -hmm. of it. But if you're super insecure and you haven't settled your worth, the publishing industry will bury you. You've got to figure out if you have the guts now and go in with eyes wide open. I, I like the story of Michael Hyatt when he left uh, Thompson Publishing, Thompson uh, Nelson. He went about to write a book, and it took him over a year to find a publisher for that book. Mm-hmm, and this mm-hmm. was the CEO of the largest Christian publisher <laughs> in America. So, you yeah. know, I just thought, wow. You know, if it's that difficult for him to find a book contract that he'll sign or even to find a publisher that'll work with him, you know, it's for the rest of us, it's just difficult. It is difficult. And it's, you're not imagining things. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's hard for him, then it's certainly hard for you and me. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Those are really super. You've got some um, critical questions before we launch our book publicity as well. Okay. So these were the questions before you start your book project. And then we have a second set of questions for before you launch your publicity. Yeah. So w- when you're launching your book, there's, there's, um, I actually have 19 questions to ask Ooh. and we can go through <laughs> all of them or some of them. Um, okay. but these are important questions that an author can ask themselves, uh, prior to launching their book. So okay. the first well, one let's is, dive in. Okay, we'll try. Uh, How can I find time to tweet? Is tweeting necessary for book promotion? Why or why not? So you need to kind of work through whether Twitter is something that um, you want to use. And if you do, then will you find time and how will you make the time to tweet about your book? Now, there's... I think before before you run past this one, on your own personal level, you've written several books. Uh, have you found Twitter to be very necessary? I actually have, but it's because I'm shaped that way. And so that was, you know, one of the points I wanted to make is that we all need to do what fits us best. I am, um, I, my personality fits really well with, with Twitter. I love to encourage people. I love to send out uh, tweets throughout the day. I can tend to be a little bit ADD. So I'd be writing something and think, Oh, that's a, tweetable thought. And I'll just throw that up on Twitter. It's not for everybody. So that's a question that you need to ask. Is this going to help me? I have sold books via Twitter. It's not necessarily common. And what Twitter is best for actually, I think is for relationship and for garnering new information about how to launch a book um, and connecting to what media is out there because it's a really great platform to finding good articles about things and, and connecting with people that may, you know, be interested in your book. And so you have to ask yourself, is this a platform I want to master? And if you don't, then let it go. It's really okay. Um, It just happens to be something I do well. Cool. Okay. What's number two? Okay, so the next one, we'll just go through all the platforms. Why should I Facebook or try using Google Plus? What are the benefits for each platform? And again, this is kind of the same idea. You can talk about LinkedIn as well um, and, and just find out, are these beneficial to me? There has been some good um, flurry around Facebook ads and that was really great last summer, early last summer. You could, you could um, take out a Facebook ad and really build your email list that way. But in the past month or two, those, the Facebook ads have started to cost way too much money per click. And so that's part of the nimbleness of, of knowing how to launch a book is knowing what's working and what's not. Right, right. Yeah. 
And, and the next question yeah. is, what's the appropriate balance between writing and promoting? And again, this is a question that you ask yourself um, and you have to come to your own balance of how you feel about it. Uh, everybody's going to have a different percentage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the next one, number four, is how can I max- maximize the effectiveness of a launch team or is forming one necessary and does it fit the message of the book? And so, yeah, like something like a memoir or a novel, those are kind of harder ones to have a launch team for. But if you have something very specific, a nonfiction book that, that itches a felt need, it might be a really great thing to do a launch team for. And that's something I'll be talking about more on booklaunchmentor.com. So folks can go there and get more information. But um, uh, I've had very good success with the launch team, and I actually encourage authors of nonfiction books to do that. Yeah, great. The next one, again, we're just going on platform. What's the return on investment for blogging for you? Uh, I used to blog like seven days a week, which is so crazy. I don't know why I was doing that. But um, now I'm like down to two days a week. And uh, I have found that blogging, because we have such a crowded market out there, it's not as effective. But what is effective for me is when I guest blog on large platforms. And so for me, part of my strategy in launching a book is approaching Christianity Today or some of those bigger platforms and try to write an article that somehow relates to the content of my book. Great. Um, Number six, how many blogs per week will accomplish my sales goals? Kind of the same question. Um, Number seven, how do I build a tribe? Do I even want to? Does my book lend itself to tribe building? I would definitely recommend the book Tribes by Seth Godin. And um, we'll be talking about tribes at the end of this uh, podcast, but um, it really revolutionized the way I viewed my email distribution list and um, Mm. really started turning things around for me. Cool. Number eight is like, what should, what makes an effective website that sells books and how much should I spend on one or how much do I have budgeted for one? That's an important question, and I do think authors need to have a website, and it should be effective because, as Michael Hyatt talks about in his book, Platform, that's your home base. That's where you can control all of your content, whereas if I put content on Facebook, I don't know if it's going to be there tomorrow. They could take it down, or they could all shut down tomorrow, but I own my own space on the interwebs, so having a website or a blog that's my own is my way of controlling my content. Too, if you, if you, uh, wherever you're listening to this, if you click on marydemuth.com and look at Mary's website, Mary, yours is actually one of my favorite websites I've ever seen on the web. Mm. <laughs> it's really awesome. So nicely done, and it just drew me right through it. It's, it's just actually a beautiful example of an excellent website. Well, that makes me smile. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I'm sure it was a lot of work to get it there. (laughs) It was. It was. And I just did a relaunch last summer, so uh, or a summer before last. And uh, so that was a fun project for me. Um, Number nine, how can I create professional marketing materials? Um, So folks can do that on Canva or 99designs uh, or Fiverr or pickmonkey.com or hiring a designer. But I do recommend having professional looking materials um, if you can. Um, number 10, for the faith-oriented writer, how do I balance active promotion by, um, with, with resting in God's plan? <laughs> and that's a big one because that's one I think a lot of us deal with. We do need to promote. Um, as Keith Green sang in a song once, he said, do your best, pray that it's blessed, and he takes care of the rest. Well, we have, there's a part of that where you do your best and yet right. there's also a part of where you could just strive and strive and strive and you could become like Ned Ryerson on Groundhog Day. He was the uh, salesman that kept bothering <laughs> the guy, kept poking at him, poking. You don't want to be Ned Ryerson, but you also don't want to be just passive and just expect your book to sell. So there's kind of a happy medium between the two of those. Yeah, for sure. Another question is, looking back, number 11, looking back on the last year, what efforts have produced the most fruit in terms of actually selling books? And are you doing more of that or less of that? And so that takes kind of a maybe a a couple hour retreat or looking back through your stuff and seeing what really worked. For me, I found that I sold the most books when I spoke. And so that's kind of the connection with speaking right there. And so I was thinking, how can I do more of that? Because that's where I'm selling more books. 
Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. And similarly, in uh, question 12, looking back on the last year, what efforts have merited little or no, no traction? Am I doing those things still and why am I doing them? And so if you've had no traction on Facebook ads or Twitter or Instagram or whatever it is you're using, you're, then what is the point? I mean, really, unless you truly enjoy it, like I kind of just enjoy doing Instagram. So I'm just doing it because it's fun for me and it's artistic. It's not selling books for me, but it's okay because it has a different goal for me. But if, if you're working really hard and you have a time constraint, why are you doing the things that don't really work? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I teach the, I teach the success principles and the, the bookends are assess everything, assess it, and then at the end, evaluate it. You know, you just keep on doing this over and over, and you keep looking at things, and is it working? Is that not working? Is there a way I could tweak this to make it work better? So absolutely, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and I think uh, that kind of ties in to number 13. Have I, fi- have I blindly followed programs or gurus without assessing whether their methods fit me or are effective for my particular book? Uh, I'll have, I have one little story about that. I um, I hired a marketing mentor several years back and he told me that I had to do a couple of things that ended up costing me thousands of dollars and way down deep in my heart. I knew that they probably wouldn't work, but he was a guru. And so I was like, well, I have to do what he tells me to do. And looking back on it, I think I wish I just would have been a little more gutsy and thought, no, I'm not going to do that because it's going to cost me money and it's going to merit me nothing. And so I did all the things that he told me to do. And I was supposed to garner speaking engagements because of these thousands of dollars of work that I had done and paid out. And I merited during that time, zero speaking engagements, not one. But during that same period of time, I had five speaker inquiries that turned into five actual gigs simply because of word of mouth and my own personal relationships. And so I really learned a hard lesson. So I'll I'll learn it hard for the rest of you. Just don't make my mistake. Don't blindly follow (laughs) gurus and do their surefire plan to launch your book if you, if it doesn't feel right to you or if it doesn't fit your personality or it just feels sleazy, don't do it. It's not worth it. I, you know, I just had one this week. I turned down a, I turned down a speaking invitation. That was just an amazing speaking invitation, but I, my heart was unsettled the whole time. Every time I think mm-hmm. about it, every time I pray about it, every time I, you know, look at it again, I would just have this unsettled feeling in my spirit. And as soon as I sent that response back, you know, thank you so much, but I'm going to have to pass, I was at complete peace. And mm. guys, I think this is the gift that we have with the Holy Spirit is that he can tell us what is good and what is not to do. And even some things you, you follow the Spirit and they're hard and it doesn't turn out the way you thought, but you have peace because you're following right. the Spirit through it. You know, it's so different than when we just follow another person or it's somebody else's plan. I love that. And it's, so critical. I always say, remember that you are you, the only you there ever will be. And God's plan for you is different from everybody else's, even though we can learn from each other. Great. That's excellent tip. So that kind of uh, bodes well into number 14. When is a marketing strategy bordering on a scam? And how do I know what to pour my money into? And let me tell you, folks, and these could be Christians out there, too. There are a lot of people trying to capitalize, particularly on the self-published market. Um, There are predatory publishers out there where they are charging tens of thousands of dollars to get your book published when you could today upload your book to create space on Amazon for zero money. You could order a proof for six bucks and you could have your book in your hand in two weeks. So, you need to be very cautious and wise as a serpent as you um, look at these scams and just be careful. If it's too good to be true, it is. And if they're promising the moon, if there's a, if there's a program out there that says I guarantee, or by the end of this, you will be able to move 10,000 copies of your book. Do not believe them because even traditionally published book authors have a hard time moving 10,000 copies and um, although they have a greater advantage because they have the, the value of distribution into all the stores. So just be really cautious. And if someone says, you know, for $599, $599, you can learn my Surefire system, just be super cautious of that. I love it, yeah. And, 
And number 15 is, is along the same lines. What sites or coaches offer true value? And you can find that out simply by asking around and by finding other people who have, you know, found valuable information. You can also just do everything for free. It usually takes longer um, when you're trying to curate your own information and do your own research on launching your book. Um, but you can absolutely do it for free. And so that is, you know, the that's something to think about. One of the things that I'll be offering in the future, and it's not there yet on Book Launch Mentor, is I'm going to be taking authors who are about to launch their books through a three-week um, basically a tutorial. Um, I'm going to be teaching and we're going to be interacting and I'm going to be coaching and training them how to launch a book. I'll help them start their own launch teams and all of that. And so it's all really practical stuff that they'll never have to do it again. They'll come to the one thing, the one three week course, and then they're done with me. I'm just helping people launch books. And so uh, that's one of the things you might look for when you're looking for someone that is has integrity is that are they just trying to sell you more and more and more and more stuff or is it that they have actual value in their content you know when people go over to book launch mentor what do they find right now what's available to them right now it's all a whole bunch of free stuff <laughs> it's a bunch of articles about how to launch your book and um, if people are interested in getting their work critiqued and to see if it's ready for the big time. I have two editors, a, a fiction editor and a nonfiction editor that will give a service. Um, there's uh, actually for people who are women's in uh, women's ministry or trying to be a women's ministry speaker. I do have a database there. That's um, over a thousand women's ministry leaders um, that they can buy a database. And so there's things like that, but there's also a free ebook that everybody listening today can get. It's the 20 truths every writer needs to survive and thrive. And so they mm -hmm. can get that as well. Um, and eventually, like I said, there'll be more services where, um, I'm going to be starting that, uh, that launch, um, that long, I don't even know what to call it yet, but uh, like launch mentoring. Yeah, it almost mentoring. sounds like a kind of a, a boot camp or something. Uh -huh, yeah, you, yeah, that's a good go, way to put go it. And it's an in, intensive, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that you guys, that's all, that's over at Mary's uh, site. It's called BookLaunchMentor.com, and Mary's basic site is MaryDemuth.com, D-E-M-U-T-H.com. Okay, I think we're at number sixteen of what to think about before you launch your book publicity. Yes. So when is free good and when does it de devalue my work? And so the power of free has been something we've talked a lot about in recent past couple of years. Um, there's when you're, um, when you have control of your books and the rights to your books, especially if you're a novelist, if you have a series of, let's say three novels, there's a strategy called permafree, which the first novel is free. And then the back matter, it says, Hey, if you like this, you might like to buy the sequel. And then, and then the person will buy book two and buy book three. It's a very powerful strategy that I, that actually does work. And I have several friends who have used that strategy and have made a lot of money based on that. Um, and of course, creating um, something free for your email list, uh, like I did with the book launch mentor is always really great. But sometimes it's not good to give away free things. Sometimes it's not good to give away your first chapter for free. And again, that's something that you have to evaluate um, personally and your level of comfort of what is good with free and what isn't. So it's just a question that we need to ask ourselves. I think to me, the really clear place is like, okay, a brand new novelist who's nobody's ever read your novels, but they are great. Giving away your first one and selling your next two makes perfect sense because what you're selling mm -hmm. is an unknown commodity. Same right. with somebody who's got something, they've got a book, a how-to book, but people need to be educated actually on why they need it. Again, that's a really logical place to give away some content just so people sure. understand why they should even bother read it. Those are kind of easy ones. The rest of them are kind of a little harder to <laughs> harder to decide. <laughs> yeah, and it's important that we think of creative things. So when I was on, and this I didn't think about until after my first radio interview for um, my recent book's called Worth Living. And in the book, I talk about the lies that we believe and the truth that combats those lies. And as I was talking on the radio, I thought, oh, I really need to create those as a PDF so people could have their own lie and truth cards 
like um, I talked about <laughs> yeah. in the book. And so I created a PDF of whys and truths. And that's at the top of marydemuth.com now. So if you are interested in seeing the process of how I acquire an email, uh, you know, email address, that's one way that I do it. Um, and that product came just about asking the question, what do people need? What do they want? And once they see the lies and the truth, they think maybe I do need this book or maybe I need a little more information on it. But that ties directly to the message of that book. Mm, I love it. And wh- that's one of the things that I've, I've really loved about you is that you are very flexible like that. Okay, so the book's published, you've got your publicity plan in place, and now you think of an idea, boom, you jump on it and you go. And I think in this culture, we get to do that. That's, that's one of the privileges of living today. It is. And we can also, you know, we can measure things and we can see what works. And, and that's the beauty also of having a tribe because they'll speak to you and they'll tell you what they want. And if you could just right. spend all your time answering their questions and, you know, filling their felt needs and you will have, you will have some pretty amazing success. Yeah, for sure. Good. I think we have one left. Actually, we're on we 16, have three we're left. 17. We have three left. Uh, okay, three left. Others, three left. Number, number 17, what are others in my space doing that seems to be working? And that mm-hmm. has been something that's really helped me. I'm part of a mastermind group of authors, and we're authors and marketers, and we meet every other week. We just met this, today on Google Hangouts. And I watch them and we're experimenting all the time. And so I learn a lot from them and whatever works for them, then I kind of try it on for size and see if it'll work for me. Um, so just study the market out there and, and look and watch at, um, of folks that are doing the same things or in the same space that you are and see what's working. Yeah. And even on that one, um, sometimes you're, you're watching somebody that's really got a process down. They've done it so many times right. and they've got it down and they're charging some money for it, but you've been watching and they've been helping people accomplish what you want to do next. Yes, yeah, invest there versus investing in somebody that has no track record with you. You don't know. You just happen to find their site on an ad on Google. <laughs> you know I mean? right, Go right. with somebody that has a proven track record of helping people accomplish what you want to do. Yeah. And like you said, if you're a part of their email list and you've been getting valuable content and you really look forward to receiving it, then you know that they're doing something that resonates. Right. Yep. For sure. Yep. Uh, Number 18, what is the purpose of my marketing? Is it solely to make money or help people grow? Or um, is it to make a freebie that woos people onto my mail list, email list? So you need to think about what your goal is in um, marketing and what your purpose is, because if it's just to sell books, you're going to get a little frustrated because, you know, even if you sell, if you have two books that come out a year, then that's just two months of launching. And then the other, you know, months are, you, you may be still promoting, but you're not going to be promoting as vigorously. Then what do you do? But like for me, my goal in marketing is to help people and it's to build my tribe so that I can help more people. And so with that goal in mind, marketing becomes a joy to me instead of an anguish. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment, too. Um, we will. So what is number 19? The last one is what kind of email capturing strategy do I have knowing the effectiveness of email marketing? So um, like I've shared already, I have a couple free eBooks on those sites and you can also do that on Facebook. Now on your Facebook page, you can have people sign up on your banner. Um, You can have your freebies there. And so what kind of ways, another thing that I do that I think is probably the best thing I do is when I speak, I have speaker cards and the cards will have like my latest book on the front and a blurb about it or whatever. And then, and that's shiny. And on the back it's matte and there are lines there for people to take notes on what I'm speaking about. But then there's a perforated tear off at the bottom that says, yes, I would love to receive, you know, the free ebook that whatever it is that I'm giving away at that time. And, and I tell them, go ahead and fill that out. Um, if you don't want to be on my mailing list, you don't have to just don't put your email there, but if you'd like to get a free ebook, you can, and pass those forward. And then I give away my physical books, like three or four copies of one, or maybe, you know, four different books or whatever, especially if they're in the back of the room, I give those away and tell a little testimony about each one. And so that it kind of accomplishes two things at once. One thing it accomplishes is now people know you have a book and there's a book table in the back and they know a little bit about it. 
But number two is you've captured email addresses of people that actually want to have something from you. And that, um, that complies with can spam laws because they're giving you permission. And I clearly write um, on the tear off that this is a sign up for a mailing list and that they don't have to do that. Um, I have built a very significant tribe by doing that one thing. Beautiful. That's a great idea. Great idea. Okay, let's. Our our time is going. We got lots more content here. You're you're just full of good stuff, which is great. Uh, one thing you talk about is how to market and retain your joy and intention in it. Not to have marketing be the slog, and then your joy to be something else, but to have those be congruent. Yes, and I think that comes back to, and we'll talk about this a little later, but um, it comes back to tribe and uh, what one of those points that I made about intention and goal. Um, I I kind of find it instead of, and again, I'm I'm wired differently. So some of you, um, some folks listening are just natural salesmen and women, and so they don't really they they get so much joy out of selling and. Okay, I think we've lost our guest. Either we've lost our guest or we've lost me. <laughs> One of the two here. And every once in a while, Blog Talk Radio uh, dashboard will just drop a guest. And so we'll see if we can see Mary come back in here. Um, yeah, it did drop her. So we're just going to uh, talk for just a moment. If you guys want to learn more about Mary DeMuth, her website is marydemuth.com, D-E-M-U-T-H.com. And booklaunchmentor.com is the site that has got this new content that she's sharing uh, for those of you who are getting ready to launch a book. In the next few minutes as she uh, logs back in here, we're going to talk about uh, marketing with joint intention, the 10 things that can lead an author to burnout, how to get past them, and what the big deal is about tribe. And so we'll just give this a moment for her to come back in, and we will come right back after this break. Let's talk about boot camps, webinars, expos, group coaching, and stuff like that. I love investing into your life at every opportunity, so I host group coaching programs plus frequent expos, webinars, and boot camps. For example, visit www.biblestudyexpo.com. That's one of the sites that's under the umbrella of Marnie.com. Over there, you're going to find 80 individual 15-minute interview MP3s with authors of women's Bible study books. So the next time you're choosing a Bible study book for yourself or your group, visit BibleStudyExpo.com and actually meet the authors and hear why they wrote that book. It's available anytime you have time over at BibleStudyExpo.com. Another thing you'll find at Marty.com are the MP3s, PDFs, and PowerPoints of all previous boot camps, so you can tap into that training in your spare moment. No need to show up on a particular day because everything's available to you anytime you have time. And be sure to take advantage of the monthly group coaching programs. I personally have paid $600 for group coaching like this, but I offer it free as part of the mentorship program or a la carte for just $99 a month. My heart is to help you succeed at reaching your God-given goals as soon as possible. So join us each month for 21-day group coaching. All of this and more is available to you at Marnie.com. That's M-A-R-N-I-E.com. Welcome back. This is Marnie, and we welcome our guest today back. Welcome back to you, Mary. Yeah, <laughs> I know you funny. didn't do that. I didn't. <laughs> <Wait. laughs> yeah. I know. I don't. I don't know why that does that every once in a while. Every once in a while, we lose a guest, but then they resurrect. <laughs> so so welcome back to life. <laughs> Thank you. I'm okay, we were talking about mar- talking about marketing with joy. Yes. And so what I have found in, in that is, again, what I talked about earlier is just this connecting your marketing to a different kind of goal. So for me, it's building a tribe and, and just giving to people. And that gives me so much joy. So the more I build yeah. that tribe, yes, the more books I sell, but the more people I get to impact and the more relationships I get to have. And as someone who loves relationships, this just makes me so excited and so happy. So, um, for instance, I just put on my first ReStory conference this last weekend, and um, it was awesome. And what was funny is I had people from my mailing list come to Dallas, Texas, that flew from New Zealand 
and the mm. Ivory Coast and Michigan and uh, Colorado and all sorts of different places. And these were people that had only an online relationship with me and they flew far to go to this conference. And how wow. humbling is that? So that I think is how Beautiful. I keep it with joy. Beautiful. That is so great. And I think the key is to find out what motivates you as an individual. So that's what motivates Mary. Something else might motivate me. What motivates exactly. you? And when, when, you, when you're in your passion, like we talked about writing in your passion, marketing in your passion is going to be what's actually going to work. And you're not going to dread getting up in the morning. You're going to actually look forward to it. And that's really important. We're going to talk right now about burnout because that's the yep. next thing that hits most authors, especially authors who aren't really clear about their own passion, about who they are uniquely in Christ. Yeah, so here are um, things that can kind of bum you out as an author and how sad that we're talking about this, but it's also very true. <laughs> so the first thing that bums you out as an author or that might you know, burn you out is uh, that marketing, and we've talked about this already, but marketing takes way more time than you think it should. <laughs> And so you can get burned out by doing, you know, more marketing because your expectation was that it wouldn't be a certain level and it ended up being more. The second one is publishers aren't always easy to work with. And um, I've had some really great publishers and some really wonderful working relationships with publishers, but there have been a few times where it's just been pounding my head against the cement, you know, and, and things have not worked out. I have had a cover that I didn't like, or, um, an edit that was just kind of mind numbing. And so these things happen, you get pushed back and, and that can cause discouragement. And that leads to number three, which is the editing process, um, particularly if you're traditionally published, but if you're um, self-published, you're going to hire an editor too, because you want your best foot forward. The editing process can be very discouraging. Um, it can be frustrating, uh, and, because, and part of that is that there's always more editing you can do. And you could edit your book to death and take all the life out of your book by editing. And so it's impossible to create the perfect book unless you're writing the Bible, but that's already been written. So the editing process can be a very discouraging part. Um, number let's four. Go ahead every, through, let's go through, ahead through all 10 and then let's come back on a couple points. I think let's do that. Okay, way. perfect. Okay, easy. Number four is everything takes forever and a year. <laughs> so especially <laughs> in traditional yeah, publishing, yeah. you come up with an idea, you write a proposal, you find an agent, you, the agent shops the proposal, and that sometimes takes about a year. And then they, they buy the book if they do. And then it's another year before you hold the book in your hand. And then um, you've got to promote it and everything just takes forever. And even in the self-publishing realm, there's still steps that you, ha- you need to take. You need to get that book professionally edited. You need to make sure you don't have a very ugly cover and all those things. That can take a really long time. And and we talked earlier in the podcast about passion. So talk about having your passion tested. You know, you had this idea two years ago and now you finally hold the book in your hands and your mind has already gone off to other tangents by then. So everything takes forever and a year. And then five yeah. is related. Um, managing a writing schedule can be hard. If you have another job, which most writers do because we can't make a living at it, um, it's hard to manage when you're going to write, when you are going to market, um, when can you give it your best. Some people wake up early to be able to write. Some people write late into the night. And managing that schedule can be problematic if you have, like, people in your life, like family members, and they like food and whatever. So you just have to do it. <laughs> or if you need um, to sleep or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, minor things like that. Uh, number six is you feel obscure in a crowded market, and that can be very discouraging as well, that you walk into a bookstore, you walk into a library, and you just feel extremely small and a way to combat that is to remember what Marnie said that you're the only you and you're the only one with your message. And so I have to kind of hammer that back into discouraged writers because you could look at the Amazon catalog and freak out and think there's no need for my book. Everything's already been written. Um, And then expectations, number seven, marketing expectations can be overwhelming, uh, particularly if you're working with a traditional house, I just got off the phone with an author today and she said, yeah, well, I only sold a thousand books and my publisher's really disappointed in me. And it's, 
very hard to, um, to mitigate those expectations because they have this expectation that you will have this platform and you will do all this work. And then maybe you're writing book two or three and you don't have as much time. So that can be very overwhelming. Um, Number eight, as I've alluded to this, sometimes you can't just be a writer these days. It's pretty rare unless, you know, you're uh, JK Rowling or something that you could make an actual living at it. And the percentages are pretty discouraging. I think it's like 1% maybe can make a living at it. And so we have to multitask and multi-job. And that's why I mentor writers and I also edit and I also do graphics and uh, website stuff and all sorts of things because it's the only way I can make ends meet. I cannot make a living on writing. Um, Nine, that one of the discouraging things is um, sometimes we can get bogged down in the solitude of creating and for anyone that has an extrovert gene, not being around humans and being in your writer's <laughs> cave can be a real bummer. Uh, if you have the introvert gene, it's like, this is awesome and it's great. But for anyone that needs other people, and I'm kind of an uh, both, I'm an ambivert, so I, I, um, I need to have quiet to create. But in order to create great content, I need to be rubbing shoulders with humans. So um, you, some people may find that frustrating, some may not. And then the last one is contrary to perception, it's very hard to make a living as a writer. So I'm kind of just bringing that point back home. So when I meet with other people and they say, oh, what do you do? I'm at a party. What do you do? And I say, oh, I'm a writer. Wow. And then they get these starry looks in their eyes and they think I'm like super You're making millions of dollars. (laughs) Look at that BMW I'm driving and I have no problems in the world. And it's like I have to educate them and say, well, I make about 73 cents per book. If in my okay. traditionally published books, <laughs> and so I'm really not making yep. much money on those, <laughs> but nobody knows that. And right. people want, right. I get this all the right. time where people are like, Oh my gosh, I want to be a writer, I want to make a million dollars a year. I'm like, Wow, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, all you know, all blessings to you, but it typically does not happen. Okay, and you know what? I mean, it's kind of like you know, when we see our kids growing up and they want to be the next you know, big football star or the big basketball right. star or whatever, we're like, okay, let's talk some sense here. Okay, one out of a million people, you know, maybe get to mm-hmm. do that. So let's be realistic. And I think with writers, because, um, it, you know, you see so many uh, best-selling authors and you just think, wow, okay, so it's really doable and everybody can do it. And it's really a lot of factors that go into that, not just a great book. It really is many more things than just a great book. There's many great books that have not become bestsellers. Yeah, and I I guess I naively thought that too. I'm going to write a great book, and every book I write is going to be better than the last, and that's been my goal, and I've met that goal, but that doesn't guarantee that I will sell that book. (laughs) It just means that it's a better written book. Right, right. And it's just just really so important. So there's a couple things here that I want to go back and touch on. Uh, and we're getting close to the end of the hour, but we have a little bit of time left here. So first of all, you've said a couple times during this interview that you don't want to have, quote, a very ugly cover. <laughs> and I, I love your understatement there. So the deal, <laughs> deal, and I want to go way back to, you know, you were talking about, you know, write to your first audience. There's actually, there's actually three or four audiences you're writing to. You're obviously going to write to the person who is going to buy your book the ultimate reader, mm-hmm. but you have to first write it for the uh, company who's going to help you publish it if you're going with right. traditional publishing, the acquiring editor and the pub board, and even in that situation, even even the sales reps who are trying to get it into bookstores and on the shelf, right. and then you've got your reader, and then you've also got the media, and so mm-hmm. all, of these, all of these groups are really, really affected by your cover, and I I've only had one time, Mary, in all these years, but there was one book that came in for Bible Study Expo, and the book was good, but the cover was a very ugly cover. It was, it was extremely ugly. And it was like, wow, I just can't do it. I couldn't mm-hmm. get myself to do it, even though the content was good. So you have got to help the people who are trying to help you by taking the time to do a nice job on every aspect of your book. But talk to us about cover for just a minute. Yeah. And so um, one of my publishers sent a cover of a book that I just abhorred. I just, as a graphically oriented person, 
I did, I just did not like it. And I knew it was a bad cover. And I, I sent it around to a secret group and said, what do you think of this cover without saying that I hated it? And they're all like, <laughs> I hate that cover. It's ugly. And so what I, what I did was I went on Getty images and I found the cover image and it right. was perfect. And I sent it to them. I said, can we try this? And they said, yes, which was really a blessing and yeah, right. it's a beautiful cover now, and I am so proud of it and got to say I had a hand in designing it. Um, and then I'm, uh, when I'm self-publishing, I have, uh, I'm, I'm a pretty good designer, but I have gone to 99designs.com and um, had some really good success with book covers there. So I'm not, um, I, I like to, I love graphic designers and I like to see what they can come up with that might be different than maybe what I thought. So I've had some really good covers come from there as well. I just had this conversation with an, a writer over the weekend too. And what I've found works really great for me is if I go like you did to Getty.com or wherever you look for photos, you find the image that's very close or maybe three images that you say, if we would combine mm -hmm. the concepts of these images, we're going to be close right. to what I have envisioned in my mind. Otherwise, you, you'll spend months, and your artist still may not even be close to what you have in your head. You really have to do the legwork on a lot of this stuff in order to get even close. You do, and you have to be proactive. And I'll often send like 25 book covers I really, really like, and that helps the designer <laughs> go, okay, these are the, this is the vibe she's going for. And so that is very helpful to them because it gives them something to work right. from. And you can even pull pieces. Like I like the, I like the, title, the title font on this one, but I right. like the weight on this one. I like the color on this one. You know I mean? You can, but yeah. the more you help them, the faster it's going to get done, and that's the bottom line. I think you're number four. Everything takes forever in a year. Oh, my goodness, mm. that's so true. And it's just it can feel like this is never going to happen. But if you remember that every day that you live, you're learning and you're growing and you are a different person when your book comes out than when you, than you were when you started it. And that's not always a bad thing. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> grown up a little bit. Okay, well, we have one last, one last point here. We've got a couple minutes left. Why does every nonfiction author need to think about tribe? Yeah, it's, that's what I mentioned before is that it, everything kind of changed for me when I started to think of my readers as my tribe instead of just people who bought my book. And um, reading Tribes by Seth Godin was super helpful. And uh, I now view it as um, how can I love those people? How can I shepherd them? And I've just seen so much fruit come out of that way of looking at it other than um, looking at people with dollar signs in front of them. And I think especially right. for nonfiction okay. authors, it's very important that you look at people as if they are humans um, and not just commodities. And, you know, you think about that too, when you go to a writer's conference, I think writers forget that agents and editors right. are humans, right. <laughs> you know, and they right. look at them like commodities. This agent is the commodity that will help me sell my book and they treat them poorly but that won't bode well later when, you know, they get a reputation in the industry for being a diva. So if we can just look at our readers as people we can love and people we can shepherd, I think it will change kind of give us a paradigm shift in the way that we view our marketing and our launching. So great. And another way to think of a tribe is just an extended family. These are people yeah, that yeah. like, like your gals that came for um, your conference, you know, they feel like they know you already because of everything you've given online, they're your friend, they're your family member. And it, it makes a huge difference. Um, when it comes to releasing something new, they're the first people to raise their hand and say, yeah, I've got to read that. I have to see what she has to say about that. It's so true. And that, like I said, it's my tribe that has contributed to the success of the conference I just put on, which is miraculous, really. And they're the reason that I, you know, get up in the morning sometimes is they're so encouraging. So I encourage them, but they encourage me. So it's been kind of a really lovely mutual admir admiration society in that sense. <laughs> That's great. Well, this is Marnie Sledberg. You've been joining us today for Marnie's Friends. Our guest expert today is Mary DeMuth. You want to check out her website at marydemuth.com, D-E-M-U-T-H, marydemuth.com. And also, of course, her new great website, booklaunchmentor.com. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you next time. Have a great day. Bye-bye now.